0: we're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, the last sermon of the series and honestly this snuck up on me. I didn't realize that this was coming to a close. But uh, we've been taking a day by day look at the last week of Christ. And today, we will look at the cross. It's Friday. And when we left the week, when we left the story last week, Jesus was at the Last Supper. He's having a Seder meal with his disciples. And he's washing their feet. And he's teaching them in these moments. But later that evening, into the early hours of Friday, he would... Um, go to the garden to pray. And it's during that time that he's betrayed with a kiss. Judas, along with the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came with lanterns and torches and weapons to arrest Jesus. And Jesus was led to Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time. And there were scribes and elders of the community that were gathered together in the middle of the night. And this is the place where Peter denied knowing Christ. He denied Jesus three times. The third time he cursed and he swore saying, I do not know the man. A high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching Sanhedrin tried to obtain false testimony about Jesus so they might put him to death. Finally, the high priest said to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus responded, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you'll see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. At Jesus' statement, the high priest tore his robes and said, he has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And the crowd that was present responded, he deserves death. And so Jesus was led to Pilate because the Jewish officials didn't have the authority to put Jesus to death, but Pilate did. And Pilate questioned Jesus. And after questioning him, he came back and said, I find no guilt in this man. But the chief priests insisted, he stirs up the people teaching all over Judea starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. And when Pilate heard this, he asked if Jesus was a Galilean because Herod happened to be in Jerusalem as well. And Galilee was under Herod's rule. And so he sent Jesus to Herod. Now this is Herod Antipas, he was the Tetrarch of Galilee and the son of Herod the Great. And he was looking forward to seeing Jesus. He wanted to see if Jesus would do some kind of trick for him. Show him some kind of sign. Amuse him. Herod questioned him at some length, but Jesus answered him nothing. And while the chief priests and the scribes were standing there, they they accused him vehemently. And so finally, Herod and the soldiers they mocked Jesus. They dressed him in a gorgeous robe. And they sent him back to Pilate. But Pilate still desired to release Jesus. But kept, the crowd kept calling out, Crucify! Crucify him. Pilate said to them a final time, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. But the crowd was insistent with loud voices asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. Pilate pronounced sentence that Jesus be crucified to death. And they took Jesus to a place called the place of, of a skull, which in Hebrew is called Gogaltha. they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, "Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews." This was written in Hebrew, Latin. And in Greek. Then the soldiers took Jesus' outer garments and split the garments between them. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. People passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, he saves others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come now down from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him. If he delights in him, for he said, I am the Son of God. On that day Jesus was mostly silent. What words do you expect to come from Jesus in this moment? And I know some of us are very familiar with this story. Some of us are very familiar with the story, but put that aside. What words do you expect to come from his mouth from the cross? What kinds of things do you expect a man to say who's been tried before the Sanhedrin, before Pilate, before Herod the, the Tetrarch? Who's falsely accused, who's beaten, who's balked, who's spit upon, who's hung on a cross, who's within hours of giving up his spirit. What do you expect a man in that position to say? What would you say? What would come out of your lips on a day like that? Which leads me to a question I've been wrestling with this week. What helps you in life's most challenging moments? What do you turn to? Do you paste on a grin and tell people that life is good when it's not? You binge watch Netflix? Do you have a tendency to curse heaven? Do you say, not again? Or, why me? Is there scripture that you turn to? Is there a song that helps you get through? Well, we know 2,000 years later, much of what happened at the cross and was said by Jesus on the cross comes out of Psalm 22. And scholars, some scholars believe, and I, I have, happen to buy into this idea, is that this psalm, Psalm 22, was Jesus' life psalm. Now, a life psalm, was an intimate psalm is only known between you and God. But when it came to, to you at the end of your life, you would either want the Shema, the great Hebrew prayer, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, or your life psalm. One of those would be on your lips. And so I believe that Jesus was reciting, was, was singing that psalm from the cross. Listen to this clip. This is Psalm 23 sung in Hebrew. Beautiful, isn't it? See, these psalms were written to be sung. They were part of, and are part of, the Hebrew worship. How will worship in this moment shape the words of Jesus on the cross? Let's take a look at Psalm 22 together. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O oh, you who are throned upon the, the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were delivered. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with their lips. They wag their head, saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. The psalmist David wrote this Psalm a thousand years before Christ would sing this song from the cross. I wonder if as Jesus is singing these words, if it helped the people, the crowd that were watching connect with what Jesus is singing and what's actually going on in front of them. Because we know when people deal with trauma, and this will have been a traumatic event for Jesus' mother and the other ladies and his disciple, John. We know that when people are in trauma, they they lose details. But we have some very finite details of this time. And maybe Jesus singing from the cross, his life psalm, helped those closest to him connect to the events around them. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast, upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from a mother's womb. Yet be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierce my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments. Among them, for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword. My only life from the power of the dog. I want you to notice in the psalm that that David and Christ on the cross—they are both very realistic about the trouble that they face the challenges of life they're being open and honest and transparent about the realities that they're facing they're not ignoring they're not sugarcoating this in fact they're they're shaking the gates of heaven saying are you paying attention to what's going on in my world that's worship worship is honest Worship is real. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence because of the kind of God that we serve. We can tell Him what's really going on. We don't have to paint a smile on our face. We don't have to gloss things over. But you also notice That both the psalmist and Christ on the cross, they see past their problem. They see the God of the heavens that's still in control, who's still sovereign, who still sees them. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him. All you descendants of Israel. And we see this change take place. Where David originally, a thousand years before Christ, comes in desperation. And then he starts to exalt and celebrate. See, that's worship too. Our God is worth worshiping, regardless of what we face in front of us. Regardless how dire it is, how painful it is, how frustrating, how maddening it is. He deserves our worship, and this is real, honest worship. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him for help, he heard. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive, prosperity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has performed it. Or that ending could be... It is finished. It is finished. Notice that there's another subtle change. It starts self-focused. It starts with, this is my problems. This is what's real. And, and, and it should start there. We should be honest about what we're facing and what we're dealing with. But then he, he reaches out and is like, but you're still God. And then he goes in more depth, right? David thousand years before Christ writes this down through his experience. But Jesus is experiencing this on the cross. He's talking about what's real, but then it turns into this exaltation about who you are as God. You are so big and magnificent. You are worthy of my praise. I don't care what's going on here. You are in our focus turns from our circumstances, which are too big for us to this God that's way bigger than that. But ultimately, it turns into this witness to the nations. This witness, this testimony that gets spoken in the midst of our pain. Jesus is reciting, he's singing, he's celebrating his life psalm because he knows where he's going he knows in whose presence he'll be soon so he starts off with my god my god why have you forsaken me not not a cry that lacks hope but a cry of worship and then his focus turns outward Somewhere in his time on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's talking about Romans who who perfected brutality. And he's talking about the religious leaders that premeditated this murder. He says they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. His focus isn't on himself anymore. It's on the people around them and what they need. And he offers salvation to one of the thieves. He says, truly, I say to you today, you should be with me in paradise. He sees his mother and says, woman, behold your son. She's there to minister to him and he ministers to her. And he says to his disciple, behold your mother. And he says, I'm thirsty. Again, connected to you and I in our human experience, how we oftentimes find ourselves wanting and in need. Jesus understands that wanting and that need as our great high priest. And as some believe, Jesus used the same Hebrew word that ends Psalms. 22, it is finished. It is finished. Jesus' word starts with his situation. He sees them dividing his garments, casting lots. He recognizes that his bones haven't been broken. He recognizes that his mouth is dry, that that his life is giving away. He recognizes all these things. And so his words start looking internal, but then they move externally to the need of the people around him. And it's because of his worship that he was able to do this. And then we have the final words at the cross by the Roman centurion. Truly, This was the son of God. Even as Psalm 22 ends in this witness that goes out into the nations. The way the Christ worshiped from the cross. Created this witness. This witness that you and I. Have benefited from. This process of repeating and singing. allowed Jesus to continue to be purposeful. Even on the cross. My question for you is. When you face your cross moments. Will your worship see you through that time? or well, the worship that you've built into your life. Because you don't sing Psalm 22 from the cross if you didn't sing it beforehand. It's not John 11.35. <laughs> Jesus wept. It's a little bit longer than that. The implication is this. Worship allows you to stay connected to your God and stay true to the path that he has called you to. Your worship may very well be your greatest witness to the people around you. Worship allows you to stay connected to your God and stay true to the path that he has called you to. When you have your cross moments, will your worship see you through that moment when our family moved to Moscow, Idaho, we, we met this family, uh, Russ and Lisa Qualls, and we weren't there a month when tragedy struck for that family. They were heading to Montana from, from Moscow and uh, they were halfway between Moscow, Idaho and Coeur Idaho when they hit a patch of ice And they crossed the center line. And their 13-year-old adopted daughter, Calcadon, lost her life instantly. I had talked with Russ maybe once, maybe twice, up to that point. Didn't really know him. I knew him. And the quality of the person was when I went to celebration life service and I watched his family with tears running down their face, worshiping. Two of the kids, still teenagers, helped to lead worship that day. Tears running down their face. I knew who their God was. I knew in that moment how big their God was. I knew what was seeing them through those moments. It was their worship. It was the pattern of worship that they had developed in their lives that was seeing them through. You know, I I forced worship of obligation. You're big way bigger than me. I'm not very big. I'm going to worship you. And then I started to worship him out of love. And then worship became a, a joy for me. But then we hit this season of life where worship was the only thing that I could cling to when my world was turned upside down. And it saw me through a most painful time. It still does. So some next steps. Invest in your personal rhythm of worship. Invest. Invest. This should cost you something. Your worship should cost you something. David said, I will not worship the Lord if it doesn't cost me. I will not make a sacrifice if it doesn't cost me. A worship should cost us something. We should spend money in it. The things that we value, we spend money and time and energy on. It should cost you something. But it should be personal. Personal. It's between you and the Lord. I'm not here to evaluate your worship. What time of day? What place? If you need to go to the top of a mountain, go there every week. If that helps you to worship, drive there and worship. If there's a certain genre of music, if if it's the old hymns, like, man, it is well with my soul that song has seen me through some dark times. If, if, if it's gotta be steel guitar and lots of drums, if it's gotta be skillet, red, worship. If it's gotta be Garth Brooks, if it's gotta be country, unanswered prayers, <laughs> if that's your song, worship your God. But we should have our own personal rhythm of worship that sees us through not only the good times, but also the hard times. Invest in your personal rhythm of worship. And then celebrate where celebration was required and mourn when mourning is required. We see this in the psalm. It starts with mourning because in this moment anything else will be fake. Anything else will be a lie. When you're on the cross when life is doing its best to kick you in the teeth don't lie. Let's be honest. Let's be real. We as Americans, we don't like mourning. Can I get an amen? We don't like mourning for ourselves, and we definitely don't like mourning with our friends. We just don't know what to do. We we deflect with humor, right? Or we say, "Well, at least, at least there's someplace better." Russ and Lisa did not need to hear that their daughter was someplace better. They were robbed of a special young lady. They were robbed of so many memories. They were robbed of a precious life. We should mourn when it's time to mourn. We should celebrate when it's time to celebrate. We don't do that well either. Our perfectionism gets in a way we like to evaluate. We like to critique. We like to revise revamp, repackage. We got to do something new with this. Like that was good, but we got so much more we could do. Let's do better. We don't even celebrate. We don't even tell our God, thank you when we prayed for seasons upon seasons upon seasons. And we finally get an answer. We just sometimes run headlong into that blessing. Blessing without recognizing the blesser. Celebrate when celebration is required. Mourn when mourning is required. This psalm that David penned and Jesus lived out, it was a mix of realism and joy, of anguish and exultation, of mourning of what is now and the celebration of what is coming. That should be our worship. That should be our worship. Let's build that into our lives. Let's have a psalm that we could sing when life says, I'm putting you on a cross. And we're like, okay. That sucks, but I've got an answer for that. I got big God. And he's here in our midst. And we come together each week and we we do communion together. If you're new with us, we have an open table, which means that if you're here to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you are invited to partake with us. We are telling the world through this moment that we believe not only in the resurrected one, but in our own resurrection. So grateful for what Christ was willing to do on that cross for you and for me. So grateful that he would worship in the midst of that, invite us into his worship. The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he is betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's proclaim the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection until he returns. Lord, What an awesome God you are! I don't know if before this week I ever connected just how you worshipped from the cross, how real and vulnerable you were in those moments, in your telling the Father what what your experience was like, but also in celebrating Him as God. He is so worthy of our praise. So are you. Lord, I'm so grateful for you. And I pray that our celebration of you will become a witness to our neighbors, to our friends, to our community, to this town that doesn't even want to pay attention to you sometimes. I pray our worship would change things. Our celebration of you in the midst of even challenging things would tell a story of a great God. And so we love you. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, You can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.